Welcome to the HR Uprising podcast. This podcast series explores HR hot topics and challenges through conversations with relevant experts and real-life HR learning and OD professionals. The HR Uprising is about learning through collaboration and evidence-based action. We want colleagues to have the confidence and skills to rise up through their organizations by delivering real, lasting business value. Now, introducing your host, chartered psychologist, experienced change agent, entrepreneur, speaker, and coach, Lucinda Carney. Hello and welcome to this week's HR Uprising episode. My name's Lucinda Carney and I'm your host. And I thought it was time for us to have a solo episode because we've had some fantastic masterclasses and conversations lately. But sometimes it's nice just to go for one of our short, sharp, focused episodes that hopefully has some takeaways that you can use and apply tomorrow, potentially. So the topic of this um, particular podcast that I wanted to look at is actually about influential communication. And there's lots of ways in which we can think of that. I could answer that and there are many models I could apply for this. I'm going to look at one in particular called the format model and I'll tell you more about that in a minute. But I'll also bring into some of the um, other aspects like it of influence that we can consider. Why do I think that this is a relevant podcast topic for us right now? Well, actually, because there's a lot of communication that's having to go out and a lot of it is written. It's not maybe because because many of us are working remotely, uh, a lot of formal communication about people's working practices, about uh, whether or not they've, they've got different employment roles, how we're going to work going forwards, as well as all the typical HR comms that goes out. There's lots of that going on at the moment because we're having to communicate a number of changes Now, the model I'm talking about here, it applies to change, but it doesn't have to be about change. The key is we need to be aware of how people are going to take the communication that we portray. And if we're not able to do it face to face, and let's face it, Zoom is a kind of face to face, but it's still not quite the same, particularly if you've got a delay in there. If you've not got that ability to really talk with empathy one to one with people, then a communication can come over really quite flat. And that's the best, I'd say. I've had, I think of all the communication I used to get, uh, remember from the companies, any of you who know my background, this won't be too difficult to work out which one it was. We used to get all in, um, it was a global company, we used to get all employee communication. And there were 20,000 UK employees and you'd get a communication which said scroll down for the English version. So 20,000 people would have to scroll down past the German version to get to the English version. Now, I mean, for me, that's, you can't really get less personal than that, can you? You can't make someone feel more like a number. And really what I was thinking about here is if you're having to communicate job cuts or reduced hours or other communications that people are going to find painful, they may not necessarily like, you might not like not like portraying it, then how can you couch that communication in a most effective way? And I know often with HR communication in particular, you've got to be very careful about the legal position and the way it's it's positioned. Nevertheless, you can still reflect on this model that I'm going to share with you, which may well help people accept whatever it is that you're communicating to them and possibly even buy into it. Most importantly, it can also save you time because 
often what happens with bland communication is there are lots of questions. People don't really understand certain aspects of it. So they read between the lines and they fill in the gaps. So if you allow them to do that, you may end up with either if they fill in the gaps, you know, in little groups, you get little groups of gossip of people speculating on why something's being communicated, what's coming next. The other issue is you may have lots of questions. So you can save yourself time if you communicate it effectively by actually going out there and positioning it in a, in a sort of thoughtful, way, well-portrayed way, which will minimise the questions. You're preempting objections, if you like. So this model that I want to discuss is very, very simple. It's called the format model, and it, the four is a number four. And my understanding when I've looked to where it came from, it's by somebody called Bernice McCarthy back in 1980. I think she was actually in education. But the premise that she's talking about here is that we as individuals actually ask four questions whenever we get a piece of information. So there's four specific questions that we want to know the answer to. And as with lots of these models, four box models, we like those, don't we? Um, very often people will have preferences for one type or another. And uh, some people might like a couple of them. Some people might not. not. So we need to think of all of these um, questions, if you like, and try and cover the answers to those in our communication. So that's one aspect of it. It also might link to uh, David Kolb's learning styles, which some people have talked about, that suggests that we take in information in terms of we learn, we need to go through the whole cycle of something. So some people have linked it to that. But let's stick with formatters, this, this way of communicating. And it's a, a way of planning to be uh, to communicate something. And those four questions, as you might expect, are why. People want to understand why you're asking people to do something or what the purpose of something is. They want to know what exactly we're going to do. We want to know how. And then this is the one which I think is a bit unusual in this model, which is they want to know what if. And what we mean by what if, they want to know what if we do. You know, what happens if we do this? But equally, what happens if we don't do this? That actually is one of the harder ones to put into a written communication effectively. But I've got a couple of exercises where I'll, I'll run through the worked examples and try and um, make it work. You don't have to be robotic about this. I would say if you're doing a written communication, uh, you don't need to cover every aspect of this necessarily if it's if you're really having to sort of shoehorn it in. But I would definitely use it and reflect back on anything you've written. And if you think about communication that you've received, generally what you get told is what and maybe how. So people are stuck with that. So, OK, we've got to do this and this is we've got to do it by this date. And let's say we're moving sites from X to Y. This is what we're going to do and this is how we're going to do it. But they don't understand why. Why, for me, is such a critical motivator of behaviour? And why is I'll come back to how you can bolster the why and make it as influential as possible. But people need to understand why in order to be motivated to move. The other aspect of that is what if we do or what if we don't? That is maybe them understanding the consequences. So if you link this to change, it makes quite a lot of sense is that uh, if you want to motivate someone, they, they need to have dissatisfaction with the status quo or dissatisfaction with the future if they don't do anything. So that's your what if, what if we don't? And what if we do? That might be the carrot. No, actually going, oh, actually, if we do do this, this is something I aspire to. So it's looping back to the why. Often the why is a big strategic why. And then what if we do, what if we um, don't might be more personal. It's probably going to be easier if I give you an example to, to work through this. 
So uh, I've got a manufacturing comms example about going into lockdown that I did just to share with a group to see if it would help. I'm not saying it's perfect, but perhaps it just gives you the example. So if you're writing some sort of communication, I've got an introduction and the introduction is I'm writing to explain the rationale for maintaining production in our plant and how everyone in the business can play their part. So we need to put some sort of positioning statement. So I'm writing to explain why we actually need to keep the plant open over this period of COVID-19 and how everyone can support this. So that's not one of the what whys, that's actually just giving the background or the position. The why, we must find the safest way to keep our production line running through the COVID-19 crisis because key stuff in the NHS are going to be dependent on our supplies. We will soon all know or be related to somebody directly affected by this virus and lives could be lost without our efforts. Bear in mind, I wrote this about eight or nine weeks ago. I don't know if that's still accurate, but it was based on a company that I knew that had a position where they were producing key PPE equipment, actually, but everyone was scared and didn't want to keep the production line open. But what we're doing here is this why and notice so key stuff in the NHS, so it's about inspiring people and also bringing, inspiring people to help those key stuff, but also making it personal. We might know people who are going to be related to this. So this is the why we needed to do this. What was a what? Okay, we need to maintain production with some changes to our working practices to maximise safety for our family and their, so for our staff and our families. We need to pull together to do our part for the country whether this means working different shift patterns or following self-isolation protocols if we or a family member exhibits COVID-19 symptoms. So notice here in terms of thing, we're not just saying we're going to change production line practices. We're also explaining why and we're making it motivational because it's about maximising safety. It's talking about, it's using the term we. It's not saying you. It's about, so you've got this team, this collaborative tone in there. Um, and it's just saying we have to, this is what we we have to do what we need to do in order to make this work um, and accept about this is about pulling together. So that was the what. The how. This would then go into the specifics. So really what you've done is you've positioned something and you've taken away lots of the maybe negativity. Most people are going, OK, fair enough. It's for the country. It's it's about pulling together. Um, and maybe I do. Maybe I will work a different shift pattern because it's exceptional circumstances. So you've positioned it there. Whereas if we'd just gone straight in with the how, which was actually we're moving to three shifts. So some of you have been working night shift and this is just what you've got to do. That would have landed so negatively and people would have resisted it. But because we've couched it with a why and a what, when we go into the how, so these new specifics, temporary 24-hour shift patterns, fewer staff, social distancing, use of PPE, closing uh, communal areas, the sort of things that people might have been up in arms about, they're no longer up in arms about because you've given them a clear why and a what. So you say you've, probably, you've pretty much done it there, but with the format model, it's almost really closing the loop. If we don't do this, so what if we don't and what if we do? I like to go what if we don't first because that tends to be showing the negative. I don't think it's great to finish communication on a what if we don't. So what if we don't? If we can't staff the production line and maintain production, we might negatively affect the NHS's ability to do their job. But if we all pull together and adapt to these changes, we can do so in the knowledge that our actions may save lives, including those of people we may know and love. So you've got a positive and again, that sort of inspiring end. And then you want to top and tail it. So I topped it with an introduction, go into a next steps, which is 
more detail on the shift pattern. So Group ABC will be on shift pattern A and we'll be giving you your rotor uh, by the end of next week. All those sort of little nitty gritty things, you put that detail at the end. Now, if you put something together like that as a communication, you're going to get far fewer questions, but most importantly, you're going to get far less pushback. So that was a right up to date example, let's say. But let's look at another real example, but um, more normal times example that we hope that we'll be going back to very, very soon. So this example was a higher education institution who wanted to introduce an online performance development review. So they call it PDR system and encourage more frequent performance conversations. So that was their what they wanted to do. They had lots of um, agendas for them. The why for them was that they had a strategic vision of significant growth and they wanted to, um, or they still do want to, have the right systems in place to allow them to scale and to manage more, more, uh, more international students or customers. Um, the other why was they were finding the reason they needed to do that, that was how they were going to survive because they would be attracting more people from overseas and the higher education marketplace is increasingly competitive. They'd also understand that they had another why, which was we, they knew that the staff survey had highlighted that their current process was ineffective and was coming up in staff exit surveys as something which was not particularly positive. So in less terms, they would have worded those uh, the why in more sort of formal terms. So, you know, we've got a vision that we want to be the biggest university in this area by 2025. We know it's highly competitive. We want to be able to provide a brilliant um, environment for our staff and our students. And we know that you, as this would be a communication going out to all of the uh, academic staff and staff within the university, said that we know that you've told us that you're not happy with the existing process. It doesn't give you career opportunities and actually um, it's not very effectively used or managed. So all of those things, you've got different levels of why there, chunked up as strategically something to inspire people, but also personal, where you've told us that you don't like this, therefore this is the why we're bringing this new system in. So then they go on to the what. So the sort of what they would say is we're introducing a new PDR system that's popular in other universities. We're going to use it for all aspects of performance development and career management. We've configured it to reflect a new improved PDR process that's been developed by key stakeholder focus groups. Now, that's really important because they're actually saying we've involved you. So it's something they're giving extra bits of evidence here. So when I've talked in the past about corroboration, I've got a whole chapter on that in my book. Um, it's actually referring to the influencing styles. So they've looked there at actually, they've given third party evidence. They've corroborated that this PDR system is popular and effective in other universities that are similar. And also they've demonstrated that they've consulted within. So it's something that people like themselves, the stakeholders have said they wanted. So you've got social influence going on there. And then they're hitting us with a, everyone or all staff will be expected to use the new system and process from September. So rather than just going in, which very often what you get is up to this point, you go, we're introducing a new PDR system and process and all staff are expected to use this from September. That would be the nature of a typical generic corporate comms. And of course, people go, people don't, they don't understand why they might not know people have been consulted because focus groups will only be a small proportion of the organisation and they're going to resist it. Yet now, if they've communicated the points that we've just heard, 
more effectively, it's much more palatable to take on this new piece of information. So then they go into the how here. So they don't want to say, well, the questions people going, okay, it's coming. I've got to do it by September. What next? So those are where all the nitty gritty questions come. And they'll begin to say, all managers will be trained in the system and process during September. We'll be rolling out access to this system from departments during September and October. And the 2021 appraisal process will be completed online using this software. So that's the how. So that's preempted a whole bunch of questions that people would probably have asked. And they've just banged those out in terms of the clarity of bullets. It's not actually a hugely long. It's probably a one page of A4 communication. Um, and by the way, I'm not saying that face to face isn't the, you know, the right thing. I think this is maybe part of the communication. If you're doing it face to face, you need to also communicate in this way. Um, but this is just a great way in which you can have a more positive way of communicating something. And then they're going to what if we do, what if we don't, because this is the one I think it's always worth reflecting on whether or not um, we're going to do this or not. But it's certainly sort of, it is the belt and braces approach, I think. So they've gone first on this example um, with what if we do, so more of a carrot. So if we do this effectively and roll out this new PDR system and everybody uses it, we will be able to use information in the system to identify and meet training needs earlier for all staff, which means that they will be able to get access to career opportunities and, and development opportunities sooner. Uh, it will also enable us to better manage and reward high and low performers so some people will like that, the high performers will like that, the low performers might not. And we'll be able to present ourselves as a high-tech visionary university to future staff and students. So you've got the inspiration and you've got the personal. That's a level, again, to think about in your communication about what level it appeals to. So some people will like the idea and will think that being a visionary high-tech university is aspirational to work for. Some people will not care a jot about that. What they want is, are they going to get career aspirations or are they going to get a pay rise? So by having multiple um, points here, you are appealing to other people. Obviously, it is lengthening the communication. So perhaps you can also think about using the bullet points where appropriate for that audience. If you know that certain audiences are all about development and certain audiences are all about status, then you might just focus on those aspects of the communication. So there are different levels there in terms of the what if we do. What if we don't? So this is ending more negatively. Um, what if we don't? We will continue to struggle to manage our career, our staff career development effectively. We may not attract enough students to achieve our vision, which could they've not gone on to say which could result in um, hardship but that's inferred and our staff will continue to leave due to our lack of performance management and development so those are just examples to bring this to life you can use this in any any place really but the purpose of me sharing it with you is that I feel that we have a responsibility to try and make any communication we're putting over as influential as possible and as palatable as possible and if we have that model, the format model, which is dead simple, isn't it? Why, what, how, what if we do, what if we don't? Then we can enhance any written communication that we're putting out, but also that our organisation is putting out. So I thought it hopefully it was maybe timely and of use to share with that, share that with you now. So I hope that was of use and um, wishing you all well. One thing to end on, I thought it's worth mentioning that uh, we're taking part in the virtual festival of work. It's going to be next week. So I think it's the 10th, 11th and 12th of June 
Obviously, this would normally be a conference that takes it's a CIPD conference. So it's a UK CIPD conference for HR professionals. My understanding is that normally only about 3000 people attend and something like 7000 people have have signed up um, to attend the actual conference itself. But there will be an exhibition um, with providers. And I'm I'm part of that because obviously I've got multiple hats. I've got a presentation which is going to be about HR uprising. So what the top HR uprising challenges are. So I'm going to go back and look at the episodes and where we've got the most feedback. And I'll be sharing some of the top tips and learnings over 58 odd episodes worth of HR uprising, what we've learned in the last year. So that will be available. And I say they've spread it over three days. So this is a great opportunity for you to get involved if you haven't. Go and use it as an opportunity to learn from CIPD and get involved and see what's out there for you. Um, it's free to, to you if you're a member. And do please come and come and visit exhibitors in the exhibition hall because um, we will be there virtually. Everyone's doing it for the first time. We're trying to work out. We've only had about three weeks to work out what to put on the stand and things like that. And we'll be there behind the virtual chat. So I'd absolutely love it if you'd come and have a chat and say hi we'll be on the actors stand so actors performance management software um but obviously i'll also have um representation for change superhero and hr uprising so it'd be really nice to uh hear from some hr uprisers if you come along so don't just go to the cipd conference do come and visit the exhibition as well and that's a couple of weeks i'll try and find the link and i'll put it on the show notes hruprising.com so that we've got that handy so that's all for now. Do do stay safe and healthy and get out there and collaborate and rise up and do everything you can because it's a, a very interesting time to be a people professional, isn't it? And I know everybody's really doing their best, innovating and cracking on and rising up. See you next week. Thank you for listening to the HR Uprising podcast. You can access more information, including resources or links mentioned in the show at our website, www.hruprising.com. Also, you might want to join our LinkedIn community or tweet to us at HR Uprising. We'd love to hear from you.